All right, Pastor Mark Driscoll here with my wife, Grace, and we're going to do a series of episodes on abortion, and we're going to look at it from a, sort of a, a Christian perspective, but what does it mean with the overturning of Roe v. Wade? And I want to start by letting you introduce yourself, tell us kind of who you are, what you do, and your life is getting real noisy right about now. Yeah, it really is. So uh, my name is Mark Burmich, and I'm the... Congrats on the very attractive name, by the way. Oh. We just want to start there. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm president and CEO of Choices Pregnancy Centers, and formerly CPC of Greater Phoenix. We've been in the Valley since 1983, and we are actually one of the largest and longest-running pro-life nonprofit pregnancy resource centers. Amazing. And we have three locations across the Valley, in Glendale, in Phoenix, and in Mesa. And we offer services such as free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, parenting classes, options counseling. We also have post-abortive recovery care. Yeah. Um, we also um, have boutiques in each of our centers. We offer free services and products to all of our clients that come in, everything from wipes and diapers all the way to cribs and car seats. And I've been in this role now for a little over three years. And prior to that, I was on the board of directors for Choices for about three and a half years. Okay. So. Amazing. And... Um, yeah. So how many, uh, you know, people will you serve in a typical year? I know during COVID it's probably just a disaster like it was for anyone, everyone else, but how many, how many people come through the door that you're serving and doing more like a pastoral, mm -hmm. even if they're not Christians, but loving, caring, connecting, hearing their story, trying to serve and unburden and help. Yeah. So we'll see anywhere from 4,000 to 6,000 clients come through our centers in a given year averaging anywhere, sometimes 400 clients coming through a month. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, and so within that, uh, we're hearing a lot of noise right now, overturning of Roe v. Wade. We'll get into all of that, and, and we've got some other things that we want to cover. But as you've been in this space dealing with Christian leaders and pastors, mm -hmm. and our focus is really leaders, those who are ministry leaders, civic leaders, business leaders, church leaders, we talked previously kind of offline, there's sort of a few categories or buckets that you see Christian leaders falling into. Maybe share some of that. Sure. So our perspective comes from us being boots on the ground, having um, an on-staff pastor that would work with local churches in mm -hmm. Arizona. And we would categorize it really in three major buckets for pastors right now. The first is completely uneducated on the life issue. So they simply just don't speak about it. The next bucket is educated, but don't really feel like they have a support base, whether that's from individuals inside the church or outside yeah. the church. Too toxic, too controversial, Correct. It's too, too it's much backlash. Political, back. exactly. And the third bucket is um, they're, they're just afraid to talk about it from the pulpit, period. They won't touch it. Um, those are the three main buckets that we see. And uh, for those that don't want to talk about it or don't want to talk about it in the pulpit or don't want to post anything on social media among uh, Christian leaders, at least in the church space, is there any primary sort of diversionary tactic or excuse that gets given that sort of justifies that? Yeah, the common feedback we'll get is, hey, we love what you guys do. We're not going to talk about it. We see that really as a political issue. That's the label they'll typically mm -hmm. put on the life issue. Anything that falls under the, the political category for those pastors, it's off limits. They don't want to ostracize or offend anybody inside the church. Mm -hmm. And so that's typically where it begins and ends. Yeah. And to me, I, I guess I would ask the question, is there anything left that's not political? Right. <laughs> Exactly. If you're going to apply that label, what is left to talk about? I mean, baby f formula right now is a political issue. Uh, gas prices are a political. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that baby formula would be a political issue. But so that so there are biblical issues that have political implications, mm -hmm. and that doesn't make them political issues. 
um, you know, killing people is in the Bible. Uh, taking of innocent human life is not just a political issue. It's a, it's a biblical issue. So for those who are Christian leaders and maybe they would be in that space of, I've kept it in the political bucket or I've been afraid to talk about it. What would your exhortation be as a, as this becomes a very significant mm -hmm. cultural conversation that's not going to go away soon? Sure. I think it's important for leaders to understand regardless of where you're at on the issue, even if you've been avoiding the issue for an extended period of time. Um, the days of, of, I'll just say it, riding the fence are coming to an end very abruptly. Um, you've heard of the news about some of these radicalized Antifa groups like uh, Jane's Revenge and so forth. Are you dealing with some of that at the clinic? We are. We've actually had a threat via Twitter from Portland Antifa specifically calling out the burning down of all three of our centers mm -hmm. here in Arizona. And as a result, we've had to ramp up security, which was not in the budget. Yeah. And... Um, we just had a we just had our first off-duty police officer start at our Phoenix Center location today. Wow. As a matter of fact, so when um, that happens, do you need to just practically. I mean, we're reading about it in the news. They're they're destroyed. Was it like fifty clinics thus far have been attacked, and and then they're showing up at Supreme Court justices' mm -hmm. homes and affecting, yep. you know, just the day to day life of their family. I mean, it's complete bullying and intimidation. Uh, what happens then? Do you, do you do you call the Department of Homeland Security, just practically what happened? Sure. So when that first one came across on Twitter, uh, we immediately reached out to local law enforcement that got moved up to Homeland Security. Then it got brought back to a regional group here in town. And they they basically did a threat assessment and said, yes, it is it is legitimate. You need to be concerned. So that immediately, you know, gets the wheels in motion. What are we going to do? Yeah. Of course, it's my responsibility to make sure that the staff and the clients are taken care of. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of what we have on the budget side, it's we need to do something now. Absolutely. And so lots of prayer went into what are our best options, what are our best solutions, and God brought people to the table from even inside the ministry and mm -hmm. spouses of individuals that work mm -hmm. at the ministry who were able to immediately get into action, put us into contact with the right people. So we were able to bring in security firms around all three of our centers for daytime security. And then as I just mentioned, the gold standard is what we like to see is off-duty police officers yeah. at each of our centers. Now they are the most expensive by far, Yeah. but you basically- But it's a physical it's, deterrent, it's a it visual, it's, it's obvious. A, it's a yeah. visual, and then when you get an off-duty police officer, you basically get the entire department with them. If they radio yeah. something in, they get preference. Yeah. So that's what's happening at our centers right now. We also know that a lot of the attacks happen after hours. And yeah. We currently don't have 24-hour security, but so long as there's staff and clients there, there's going to be security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you just think about it. I mean, for the Christians that are hearing this, and if they care about the life issue, mm -hmm. that's an additional liability for mm -hmm. those who want to serve. Uh, it's an additional expense. Mm -hmm. Like you said, that's not in the budget, but now suddenly it has to be. But every dollar is going to help, you know, someone in need, usually a, a young woman. And if that money is reallocated, then it means that God's people have got to step up and be more generous, even just to continue the same level of services. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And the cost, like I mentioned, it, it is substantial. I mean, it's it's upwards of $300,000 additionally that goes into the budget for security for the centers. And again, if we if we able to get those off duty, it goes up to closer to $480,000. Yeah. So for a ministry like ours and for most pregnancy resource centers, that is a massive percentage of your budget. Oh, yeah, because you probably have significantly more volunteers than even staff. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so the model is built on, it's a ministry, first and foremost, which means they're volunteers. But you need to keep pregnant women, young women, and volunteers safe. Mm -hmm. And it's just a, it's a, it's a sick world when some people in Portland are trying to decide what a woman does in Arizona. Right. Absolutely.
and they're able to just post something on Twitter and it immediately impacts our lives, day-to-day -day operations, and even just from a leadership perspective, conveying confidence and security in the team. Yeah. And I will say the staff that works at Choices, they are, I call them rock stars. They are on the front lines, they're in the trenches, but they also have to be, they have to be aware and confident in the fact that leadership is doing everything they can to take care of them. It's, it's not 1983 anymore, which is what I constantly refer back yeah. to. This is not when we've, this is not the Reagan era. Mm -hmm. This is a new day. Mm -hmm. So just curiously too, and I want to get into some of the bigger issues and Roe v. Wade and what that means at the state level and all of that, but like for the average person or average Christian, so what's an average volunteer look like? Your minister, I mean, you know, there are, there's all of these, you know, big political legislative issues that we can get into, but on the front lines, there are some people that just are trying to love, help, and serve. Absolutely. An average volunteer choice is usually female for obvious reasons. But um, coming on board, we have volunteer training that take, takes place over a three-day period. And then we have extensive on-the-job training that takes place as well, regardless of where they end up inside of the ministry. Mm -hmm. But that uh, their final job duties can be anything from being an advocate, which is sitting down in the room with the mother, having those what we call those two-hour miracle conversations, mm -hmm. all the way to working in the boutique and restocking the boutique. Mm -hmm. um, there's no shortage of things that yeah. we need help with. And as we, we say at Choices, we live and die by our volunteers. If we do not have volunteers, we do not function, we do not operate. So anybody that's ever interested in wanting to get frontline, frontline in ministry, it's a great opportunity. Yeah. And would you say that your center, it's, it's larger and longer standing, but is that pretty common in most major cities or across the country, similar centers in those places? Um, it, it depends on where, where you're at. There's some, some bigger centers in Florida and in Texas, Houston specifically, and then there's some uh, a somewhat larger one in the Pacific Northwest. Choices is unique in that it has multiple locations. Yeah. Um, and because when it was founded in 1983, our founder, Dave Everett, was part of a very small group of individuals where at that time, there were only about three or four other pregnancy resource centers in existence in the nation. Oh, wow. Okay. So you guys were early, early, early adopters. Um, so within that, maybe uh, just if you had to bottom line it, if you were sitting down with the leader, what would your pitch be? This is why you should be pro-life and this matter should be very settled in your mind. Mm. So for me, I think it's important to understand anybody that's listening to this to dispel what you think you know about the life issue. Mm. It's not a socioeconomic issue. It's not a rights issue. It's not an upward mobility issue. It is a spiritual issue, 100%. And until you put that filter on and that lens, you do not understand how it operates or what the solution is. And we have individuals that are being spiritually attacked through this, this disbelief that their only option is to kill this child, period. Mm -hmm. And as leaders, it's your job and your responsibility and your duty wherever you're at to be a leader in this space and in this conversation. If you're not speaking truth about this issue, Mm -hmm. then who's going to do it? And yeah. if they're really not getting the information at the church, where else are they getting it? It should be at the church from the pulpit. It should be the DNA of the church. Hey, this is where we stand on the life issue, and here's why. And getting even more practical and tangible, it's what services can the church provide to individuals that are in the church? Yeah. You know, We can get into the, the post-abortive rate inside the church as well. But brass tacks, it's a spiritual issue, and it needs leaders to speak about it definitively, mm -hmm. biblically, and, and go from there. Well, and, and you mentioned in Lily book abort abortion it talks i go to the kind of the secular stats but a huge percentage of women who have had an abortion would say that they are christian correct and we tend to think this is what you know this is not a church issue this is a 
it's like, oh, there's tons of people in the church, mm -hmm. either a woman that's made that decision or a man who's participated or pressured toward mm -hmm. that decision. And so in addition to sort of the legislative, why is the pastoral or how big do you think the pastoral need is for people sitting in church that are not going to tell this terrible secret, but they're carrying that burden? With regards to the pastoral need, I think it is one of the biggest needs in the church today is equipping and educating of the pastoral on the pastoral side to speak truth and to also bring about healing to the individuals that are sitting in their own congregation. You know, putting a fine point on it, we know roughly 40% of women that had abortions had attended church in the last month. Mm -hmm. And we know that 93% of them said they would never discuss it with anybody mm -hmm. in the church. And I think another 47% said they didn't feel their church was equipped to handle it. So if you take all that, if I'm, if I'm a leader of a congregation and I read those statistics, that is a rallying cry for me to, at the very base level, low-hanging fruit, yeah. provide resources for those individuals yeah. immediately. Mm -hmm. And then from there, build a game plan into how do I can speak out broader into the community and how can I energize and equip my congregation to speak truth? Yeah. And so in the next episode, I'd love to get into kind of Roe v. Wade post that world, what that means at the state level, how the fight's not over, the battle is not concluded, it's just moved to a new battlefield. But I think maybe you talk about, you run women's ministry, what does this look like for women in the church? Because we can, we, can um, we can talk about legislation. I, I like starting with the human beings making significant decisions and then living with those decisions. And sometimes it is, you know, we need to allow women to do this if we really love and care for them. But on the flip side, many women who make this choice, it is not a blessing for the rest of their life. It's a haunting. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you were talking about, pastors and leaders need to have a father's heart for these spiritual daughters in the church. And so they need to help them heal from what's already happened in their life. We all do things that we wish weren't a part of our story. And in women's ministry, we really, at least um, at our church, I really um, acknowledge and um, embrace the women that are willing to be honest about anything in their story, including abortion, because the enemy wants them to live in guilt and shame for the rest of their life. But God wants them to feel free of that and, you know, seek forgiveness and, and healing from the Lord and from their Christian community. And so that's something that we really want to do and have worked to do intentionally. Um, and women's ministries need to do this because there's millions and millions of women that have had abortions and if they're coming into the church we need to be a place for them to feel safe and not continue that guilt and shame and hiding they need to be able to share the dark secret of what they've done including abortion and be be able to see that there's hope and there's freedom from that and they god gives forgiveness and god mm -hmm. gives healing as a heavenly father and so that's something we've really wanted to do as a women's ministry. Yeah, and if a church can allow the women who have, have done that to share openly without a condemning, shameful environment, it gives the other women an opportunity to say, that's part of my story. I guess we can talk about it here. Absolutely. We also have a ministry to single moms because we are so thankful that they had their kids, right? Yeah. And so we have a ministry to them to provide resources because it is hard. It's a challenge. Um, but we try and kind of encompass as much as we can. We're just starting out as a women's ministry over the last few years, but we're trying to grow in this area, and I would challenge all churches to do that. Well, and maybe we close uh, this episode. A lot of it, too, my heart's for men and men's ministry. We do a lot of marriage ministry and 
we work with marriage today and exo marriage and all that. And, but maybe share statistically um, the difference that a man makes in the decision-making process if he decides, I would like to be a father to this child. Sure. It's pretty black and white. About 86% of the time, if that father of the child says, I want to keep this child, the baby lives. Amazing. Plain and simple. That's the sway and the power and influence that the father has. And so to your point... So it's not just a women's issue. It is not just a women's issue at all. But it's, it is definitely a rallying cry. You and I talked about it offline. But where men need to play a role in this particular issue, yeah. theirs is at the forefront as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's shocking to think that a lot of these women that are dealing with the pain of the decision they have made, if the man would have made a different decision, there would be a different outcome. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I think as a church, we tend to think of this is a women's issue, this is a non-Christian issue, and this is a cultural political issue. It's like, no, this is a men's and women's issue, it's a church issue, and it's a ministry Christian spiritual issue. Okay, so maybe in the next episode, we'll move into the realm of Post Roe v. Wade, I think there is this great myth being promulgated by the left, and that is abortion rights are gone and abortion's outlawed, and that's not what's happening. So we'll hit that in the next episode. And so again, where could they find your uh, website and your ministry? I'd encourage them to give as well. Sure. Choicesaz.com. 